0: morning church, my name is David and uh, our Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. If you're using our church Bibles, uh, you'll find that on page 60. Exodus chapter 20, from verses 1 to 6, the Ten Commandments. And the Lord spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments.
1: Good morning, church. My name's Chris, if we haven't met. And the second Bible reading can be found on page 967... And it is Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4. It's page 967. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also He made the universe. The sun is a radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Good morning, everyone.
2: Uh, My name is Vincent. I'm usually from Fairfield. If this is your first time here, I'm one of the ministers over there. So I'm also a guest of sorts today, perhaps not a special guest, just a guest. Um, I feel sufficiently rebuked, Simon, because I did come at 1031. Um, Next time I'll come earlier. And I only knew nine of the commandments, even though I'm preaching on the Ten Commandments today. But But we're looking at the first two today, so hopefully by the end of our series we'll know the whole lot. Um, Why don't we pray and we'll get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you are all wise, immortal. We thank you that you are the majestic God. And we are just blown away that you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, Today, Father, uh, as we come before you, help us to know you better, to know what it means to worship you alone. And we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, as Simon mentioned, today we continue our Ten Commandments series. Uh, if you were here last week, Stephen kind of kicked us off as we looked at the Christian's relationship with the Old Testament law. But today we're really diving deep down into each of the commandments. And today we're looking at the first two commandments. What does it mean for us to worship God alone and to not make idols? And in some sense, as we look at these two commandments, they are the big Two commandments. These are the important ones. Um, I'm told, and I'm not really sure if it's true, but certainly it has been my experience, that as you're driving along the road, um, sometimes you'll see speed cameras. But before you see the speed camera, usually there'll be three warning signs before the speed camera actually comes up. Um, And so if you're driving along, you'll see the first sign, but the camera won't be there and then the second one and only after you see the third sign saying there is a speed camera up ahead then really there is a speed camera up ahead now i know at bosley park you are all good folks so none of you will speed anyway uh, but if after you've seen the third one you've really kind of been told to pay attention you've really been given your warning haven't you and uh, it's the same here as we think about the 10 commandments today what does it mean for us to listen to god well these first two commandments that there shall be no other gods, that we should not make any kind of idol of God. They are placed front and center to remind us of its importance, to remind us this is the time to pay attention. Because it does boil down to that, doesn't it? Why should we listen to the Ten Commandments? Why should we listen at all? Well, if God is God, then we should listen. If he is the God who is there, then this is the time to pay attention. And that's what the first two commandments are all about. You shall have no other gods It's saying you shall worship God alone and you shall not make an idol. It is saying that you shall worship this God rightly. Now, as we think about our culture today, it is interesting because for most people, we still think, okay, the Ten Commandments are a good thing. If you ask someone on the street, do you think it's a good thing to obey the Ten Commandments? Most people would say, yes, it's good not to lie. It's good not to steal. It's good not to cheat. In fact, I think you would be hard-pressed to find someone who says, I am a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm a stealer, I'm a murderer, and that's a good thing. So most people would agree that the Ten Commandments are a good thing. But Simon did mention, do we remember all of them? Because I wonder how many people around us would agree with the first two commandments. But it's important for us to understand this, to actually understand the Ten Commandments as a whole. Because as we read the Ten Commandments, we realize that first and foremost, it is not about making us to be more moral people. It's not about making us a better society. First and foremost, the commandments are for us to know God, to obey God, to find freedom in Him by understanding the heart of these commandments. That's why we actually listen to these commandments. So let's have a look at them. The first one, worshipping God alone. Now, I just want you to imagine for yourself, imagine for a moment that you're an Israelite. You've just been rescued from God, and you're about to enter the promised land. And as you look around, there are all these different nationalities. There are all these different cultures. And more than that, there are all these different religions. That as you look around you, there are all these different people who worship different gods. There are people who will worship a god to bring rain. And when people want food, they worship a God who will bring harvest. And when people want children, they worship that God and the children seem to come and it seems to work so well. There are gods surrounding them. Now, on one hand, it's really not that hard to imagine because if you live in Sydney today, then you are living in this melting pot of culture and religion. You walk down the street and I'm sure that all your neighbors do not worship the same God. There is Buddha, there is... Hinduism, there is uh, Mormonism there's There's all sorts of different religions even when you go out into the shops and you go into the cafes, there are different people with charms and uh, different things there and then into this culture into this environment comes that first commandment, you shall have no other god before me you shall have none other god before me and even back then this commandment would have sounded just as shocking as it sounds today. See, for most people, we are okay with worshipping God. (laughs) Most people are okay with the yes part of that, the affirmative part of that. Yes, you go and worship your God. You go and trust in your God. It's okay. But what most people find hard, even back then, is the no part. It's often not what you say yes to that makes the difference. It's often what you say no to. Yes, you shall worship Yahweh, but no. There shall be no other God before me. They were to worship God and God alone. And back then it would have made Israel stand out so much. Are you saying that none of these other gods are real? That you can only worship one God? And think about it today. It makes us stand out, doesn't it? Are you saying that Jesus is the only way to God? That there is no other way? It makes us stand out. But why was Israel called to do this? Because it's the truth. Because the God that they worship and the God that we worship is the God that has made the heavens. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. There is only one creator. But what does this mean for us now on the other side of the cross? Well, we see an incredible truth in the New Testament that the only way to worship God, the only way to know God is through Jesus. We read from Hebrews chapter one before, where God has said, in the past, he has spoken through many ways, but in this day, in this final day, he has revealed himself only in one way, and that's through Jesus. Jesus is the creator, he's a sustainer, he is the perfect, exact representation of God himself. See, what does it mean for us to worship God? What it means to come through Christ and Christ alone? What does it mean for us to have no other gods? It means only and completely and wholly in Christ. Or to put it another way, I knew of a preacher who once said, you can either be a Christian or you can be an atheist. Those are the two options. And what he meant by that was, you can believe in some God, you can believe in a God, you can believe in anything. But unless you actually believe in Jesus, then you are functionally an atheist. Because the only way to know God is through Christ. That is the only way to worship the God who is there. See, many people around us say, yes, I believe in a God. I believe in some kind of God. But when you speak to them, it's not Jesus. And so functionally, they are an atheist. They are not believing in the true God who is there. And it's a strong reminder. This is why, as a church, this is why we preach Christ. We have lots of priorities. We have lots of things that we do. You know, it's great that we have a food pantry. It's great that we feed people different, um, feed those who are needy in the community. But ultimately, our first and our foremost and our primary priority is to preach Christ. Because that is the only way to connect people with the God who is there. But secondly, what's most striking about this commandment is its absoluteness. See, when Jesus himself was asked, what is the most important commandment? He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But then he expands on that, doesn't he? He says, and what does that mean? Well, you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You shall love this God with everything. See, to know this commandment, to actually understand it, means that we are actually recognizing that to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, is a whole Of life, thing. We don't just let God into some part of our lives, but our whole lives. Um, I remember I was once talking to uh, a girl and explaining the gospel to her, and uh, it was a really good conversation. But at the end of it, she said, "Um, So, does this mean that I have to go to church? And uh, I was a bit puzzled. I said, Well, you know, like going to church is a good thing. It doesn't necessarily make you a Christian, but a Christian does go to a church. And we kept talking, but at the end of it, she said, So, do I have to go to church? And I realized that for her, what she understood the whole gospel to be was that, okay, if I'm a Christian, then that means I just have to go to church. But what I was trying to explain to her, and what I was having difficulty explaining to her, was that this first commandment. See, the gospel calls for us not to surrender just a Sunday to God. It's saying, you shall have no other God before me. In other words, this is calling for our whole lives For every decision, every thought, every second of the day. Every moment we are asking ourselves, how can I worship? How can I serve this one God and only this God? It's saying that we cannot have a foot in two worlds. You know, uh, people often say that when you're younger, uh, sorry, when you're growing up, part of growing up is is that realization that life is not all about you. You know that? You know, like when you see little children, they can see or they think That life is all about them. You know, I want this, I want it now. It's all about their demands and what they want. And part of growing up is realizing that, well, life isn't all about me. There are other people involved. You know, life is not that simple. Well, it's the same truth that as we grow as a Christian, you not only realize that life is not only about you, but you realize what life is about. As you grow and you mature as a Christian, you realize that actually life is about God. That our purpose, our our motivation, who we are as humanity, who we are as a person, what are we made for? We are made to glorify God, to enjoy him, to worship him. That is what each one of you in this room is made for. We are made to worship God and him alone and no other God. But this brings us to our second commandment, the commandment of not making an image of God. See, we are called to worship God alone, but what does it mean to worship him rightly? Now, let's have a read of it together in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. You can flick to it in your Bible. Exodus chapter 20. Let's wait for the Russell to leave the building. And uh, this is what it says. Exodus chapter 20. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation, of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, brothers and sisters, as we hear this commandment, I'm not sure whether you think idols are a real thing, or whether a fake thing. Certainly there are some people within this congregation and some people at Fairfield where idolatry is a massive thing, where their parents uh, have idols in the household. But whether or not you think idolatry is a serious thing in your life, it is a serious thing to God. I hope you feel the weight of this commandment, that God cares about this. This is not something that he goes, okay, well, I'm not going to care about it. No, God cares about this. We're told that God will punish the children the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Now he's not saying that children will pay for the sin of their parents, but if children continue in the sin of their parents, they will be held responsible. See, God is a jealous God and this is the right kind of jealousy. It's like in a marriage relationship. The husband there is a right kind of jealousy for his wife, there is an exclusiveness in the relationship. In the same way, God is jealous for his own glory. There is a rightness in us worshipping the one God and only him. And so we need to think about this because God takes this seriously. He does not take it lightly. And what it's speaking about is what does it mean for us then to worship God rightly? It's the nature of worship, the manner of how we come before him. And what it's saying is how you worship God, how you come before him, is determined by God and not by us how you worship God is determined by what he says and not by us see this was the problem for the Israelites they worship God in a way that had not been called for uh, if you recall the incident of the golden calf Israel have just been rescued from Egypt they had been made God's people they've seen the signs they've seen the miracles and, and Moses is caught up in the mountains to be given the commandments so that Israel can understand what it means to live as God's people. But then as that's happening, Moses is caught down. Why? Well, we see the incident of the golden calf. And I have it there on your um, outlines as well, and you can read it with me. But we read, this is what happens. Exodus 32, on your outlines, if you want to have a look at it. Aaron answered them Take off the gold earrings that your wives your sons your daughters are wearing and bring them to me So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron He took what they handed him and made it into an idol There it is the word idol they made it into an idol and they cast in the same in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool Then they said these are your gods Israel who brought you out of Egypt Now notice Did you notice what Aaron says? He says, these are your gods. In other words, he's not saying this is another god. He's saying this is what Yahweh looks like. This is the god that brought you out of Egypt. See, the problem was not that they were worshipping an idol of a different religion. They were making an idol of God himself. They wanted to worship God in their way. They wanted to see something visible so that they could understand in their way. But the problem is that when we're left to our own ways, it doesn't work because our hearts are not neutral. You see, we think we, if we worship God with our own imagination, that it would be a good thing. But the problem is that when we worship God with our own imagination, what we end up with is a God of our imagination. We end up with a God who never says no to us. We end up with a God who says yes to everything that we like. Um, I heard a preacher once describe it like this. He said, it's a bit like the dog principle. Have you ever heard of the dog principle? It's like when someone buys a dog, over time, they start looking like the dog. <laughs> have you guys heard of the dog principle? I don't know. I, my, my, my sister has a dog, so I have to keep an eye on that one. Um, but it's the same here. If we are left to our own devices, if you go, how do I want to worship God? Over time, what we are left with is a God of our own imagination. And secondly, as we look around the world, there is nothing in the whole of this world, there is nothing physical in the whole of this world that accurately and rightly portrays and shows us who God really is. So you can go to Katoomba and you can see the mountains and you can see the, the glory there, but it only shows us one aspect of God. There is nothing physical in the whole world that shows us who God really is. His kindness, his meekness, his compassion, his holiness. See, there is nothing in the physical world around us that will bring us one step closer to God. In fact, there was a moment where the disciples, they asked Jesus, well, they said, wow, look at this amazing temple. And Jesus goes, don't worry about it. It's going to be destroyed one day. The temple, the holiest of the holies. Jesus says, it's not going to be around for long. Um, I remember one time someone gave me a picture of Jesus. Now, it's not the real picture of Jesus that we're talking about. But it's the, you know that picture? It's the, the picture of Jesus with the, the blue eyes and the blonde hair. And we know that's not the real picture of Jesus because Jesus was Jewish. So I doubt he would have looked like that. But it was a big picture. It was an A3 picture as well. And it was like it was a very nice gesture for them. I didn't really want that picture. <laughs> you know, and I didn't really know what to do with it. I, I really wanted to throw it in the bin. Um, but I just felt in my heart of hearts I like, I don't know is it wrong to throw this picture away? But then after this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I just chucked it in the bin. Um, And uh, after I preached this same sermon at the 8.30 service, and one of the uh, men came up to me and he said, don't worry, I chucked all my crucifixes as well. So I was like, okay, (laughs) it should be all right. But but the, the, the point here is, there's nothing in this world, in this physical world, that will bring us one step closer to God. See, there is nothing inherently that portrays and, and captures who God really is. Now, is this commandment saying that we are never to create any kind of artwork? Well, you know, is it okay to have stained glass windows or a crucifix? Or is it okay to have that? Well, of course it's okay. God is the one who has made art, he is the one who gave us creativity, he is the one who gave us hands to fashion different tools. But the question that we have to keep asking ourselves is: when does art become idolatry? When does something physical step us into sin and the answer usually is when we think that somehow this object will bring us closer to God and it's usually found in when we take that object away and this is where I think Catholicism Roman Catholicism blatantly goes against this teaching see in the practice of the Catholic Church we often see so many objects held up as spiritually significant rosary beads and uh, pictures and statues and people going up to these things and praying to it and thinking that somehow that this will bring them closer to God. This is not only false teaching, but it's a tragedy. People thinking that if they go up, that somehow this will give them access to God and bring them one step closer when in fact they are completely disobeying this commandment. See, people often think that Catholicism and Christianity where two paths go on the same road in the same destination. But it's completely different because in Christianity there is only one mediator. There is only one thing that will bring you closer to God, that will give you complete access. That is faith in Christ Jesus. And so the test is always this. Will people care? Will you care if it's taken away? It might be something that is important to you. But if it's taken away, do you think that somehow it will remove your access to God? See, church music, I love church music. I love singing uh, with you guys together. I love being able to sing words to God. And in fact, it's been a goal of mine to be able to harmonize. I've been trying to do that for 10 years, and each time I do it, my wife looks at me and she goes, nice try, nice try, (laughs) but not quite there yet. But, But all too often I hear people say, I feel like this music brings me closer to God or the music wasn't quite doing it for me today and so I feel like I haven't really worshipped God. Brothers and sisters, if we speak like that, haven't we turned art into idolatry? The only thing that can do that is Jesus himself. See, if we depend on something, an art, a bracelet, a church building, if we feel like we need it to worship, then we have moved towards idolatry. One of the things I love about 10:30 um, at Fairfield is uh, we have children that seem a little bit more crazy than over here at Bosley Park. You know, I just noticed that before the service, I was like, "Why is it so quiet?" <laughs> but but at Fairfield, the kids are running amuck all the time. But one of the things I love is they run to the front of the church. You know, if you've ever been to Fairfield, that is a church building that looks like your traditional church building. It's got that, you know, it's got the high roof, it's got the cross at the front. But I love it when children just run up to the front and play around there. Because at the end of the day, there is nothing that is more spiritual about this building that brings us closer to God. The bottom line is that, the God, and that God, the God that you and I worship is more powerful than we can imagine. He's more glorious than we can ever know. He's more wonderful than we can even think about. And we are invited not to worship the God of our imagination, but we are invited to worship the God who is there to worship Jesus as he has been revealed in the word of God. This is why when we come to church, why is it that we hear sermons? Because faith comes by hearing. God has chosen to reveal himself through his word as we hear about his commands, as we hear about what he has done, as we hear about his promises. God says, you can know me. You can know me as I really am. My spirit comes into you so that you can understand and that you can obey me. And the way that we come to Jesus, it's not through an object that somehow gives us assurance that God is listening. No, our assurance comes through Jesus, our great high priest. And so as we reflect on these first two commandments, that we worship God alone and we shall not make an idol, we worship him rightly, I want us to bring us back to the start. Remember what Israel heard as they were given these commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, at the heart of our relationship with God is a relationship of freedom. God offers us freedom. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you follow God, you are actually getting freedom. Jesus himself said, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you actually obey God, that what you get is freedom? See, for many in the world today, freedom is, I can do whatever I want. That's freedom. But that's not freedom. That's slavery when we think that we can live out our lives according to our hearts, that is slavery. And what Jesus says is, I offer you real freedom. Freedom from sin. But freed for what? Now, here's the kicker. Freed for what? We are freed to be slaves for God. That's what true freedom is. If you want freedom, live as someone who will obey God. See, we're no longer under the commandments. That's what we learned last week. But we are under the son and how do we receive this freedom then well there's an old hymn that says trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey how do we worship god how do we gain this freedom we trust and obey see in the coming weeks we will look at the freedom that god offers god offers freedom on sex In the use of our tongues, God is offering you freedom in financial security. God is offering you freedom in your relationships. God is offering you freedom in your workplace to have real freedom. But it comes back to these first two commandments. Are you willing to listen to God on what He has to say in these different areas of your life? Because it starts with these first things it's calling us to pay attention. If you want to start right, then it starts with understanding we're not about being better people. It's about being people who understand and obey God and find freedom in Him. Will you accept God as He has chosen to reveal Himself? Will you obey God and God alone? And will you trust and obey in Jesus who says, If the Son sets you free, you really are free indeed? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our culture has a lot of different things to say about how we use our words, about how we use our bodies, about how we use our money. But Father, we pray that you would bring us back to these first two commandments, to have no other gods in our life, to worship you rightly. Father, we thank you that what you have to offer us is freedom. So, Father, may we find freedom through our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And we pray this in his name. Amen.